This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 134 of the ABZ Football Podcast. Uh, it's just me, Gary Scott, and joined by Gavin J. Baxter. Stephen, Gav, how is it going? It's good. It's very good. What a what a night. What a performance. The the fear of missing out again kicking in. It was the same in Frankfurt. I'm even more jealous of those lads in Thessaloniki. Well done, Gav. You've been practicing. Thank Lovely you. stuff. Yes. In a week that saw Robbie Nielsen finally get back into the bloody game at the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Turns out the USL, if you're a crap manager, that's where you want to go. <laughs> Stephen Glass versus Robbie Nielsen. Roll it back for that one later on in the season. Looking forward to that. But yeah, thanks for joining us on episode 134. We're going to take a look back at the 2-2 draw in Greece this evening as the Dons, with a gutsy, nerveless maybe not nerveless, what but call nerveless. draw no. on the road in Greece to pick up our second point in the Conference League this season. It doesn't mean we do exit Europe, but there's plenty to plenty of positives, I think, to pick out of that one. And then we're going to have a quick look at an email we received from Neil Doncaster talking about the Scottish League Cup final ticket allocation. Not us, I should say, to somebody else who's provided it to us. Stay tuned for that one. And then also after the break, we'll have a quick look at the Celtic game coming up on Sunday. But first, Gav, Pioke 2, Aberdeen 2 in the Europa Conference League this evening. Um, two changes to the lineup from the League Cup semi final at the weekend. We saw Ryan Duncan and Duke coming back into the starting lineup in place of Boyamiowski and Leighton Clarkson. Um, we're not going to do a blow by blow of the game as we normally would here because I've literally not written anything tonight for this one. So just in terms of the starting lineup, the changes that, that Barry made, surprised with the changes? A little bit, yeah. I think I predicted Dante coming back in for one of Connor or Leighton and perhaps Johnny Hayes coming in for Jack McKenzie. So I definitely wasn't expecting uh, Boyamiowski to drop out of the, of the team altogether, um, especially when we're going to go ahead and play that one-up top formation and have Duke playing as the lone striker and... I definitely thought it was a bold call to bring Ryan Duncan into such a, a game, given his uh, difficulties maybe in the past in the more defensive aspect of his games. So yeah, definitely. I thought there'd be changes, but those were not what I had in mind. Yeah, and um, we'll come out and talk about a couple of those players in a little bit more detail in a minute or two. But also, given the way that um, Saturday evening played out, surprised that Jack McKenzie kept his his place in the starting lineup? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I That was... I very much expected that Robson would take a extremely dim view of what McKenzie did 
in getting himself sent off. And I know that after the game, he was kind of being quite um, joking about what McKenzie did, but I really did expect it to be a bit of a punishment dished out. So I guess it maybe just shows that the performances have been there as of late. And it's a chance for McKenzie to start making amends for what he did. That said, if there's a man who knows anything about a stupid red card, it's probably Barry Robson. So perhaps just decided he would, the best thing to do was be putting him back in the firing line again and let him try and make amends straight off the bat, like you say. We just touched a bit Ryan Duncan there. Kind of really came out of nowhere into the starting lineup today. He's been, you know, he's, he's flitted in and out of the team a little bit through the course of the season. Feels like he's kind of moved much more into the periphery in the last few weeks. Um, it was a bold move to put him back in the team today, I thought. Definitely. I fully expected big time, big game, Dante Bilbao to come back into the game. So for Ryan Duncan and then for him to be playing in a another slightly different position than he has otherwise when he's been playing in the Aberdeen first team, you know, that sort of right side of the four, but your play is still quite narrow. He's almost like a center midfielder inside of the, of the fullback. And again, I just thought, you know, we're going to be defending. We're going to be chasing the ball. We need to be disciplined, structured. I didn't necessarily see that being Ryan Duncan's game. So a huge call from Robson, I guess maybe just a sign of the faith, the knowledge that Robson has in in Duncan, what he can do, and you know what he can if he can trust him. And I actually thought Duncan had a a decent enough game when he was on the pitch. I don't think he did anything wrong a couple of times. Maybe some of the things we've seen from Duncan previously, where he's maybe a little bit hesitant, maybe just not quite with the game awareness quite yet. But on the whole, I thought he did fine enough. Absolutely no objections for me for the the hour that he lasted on the pitch. You know, the the obvious thing is him setting up uh, Devlin to get the cross in for Duke's goal, which was, I thought, a very good play from him. And what I was really impressed with is just that when we needed to be disciplined, when we needed to be in our shape, Ryan Duncan showed a lot of experience and a lot of nous and stuck to his task rather than you've seen more senior players than him, you know, break the break the break the lines and cause cause problems for us. So I think all in all, he could be very pleased with his performance. I'm hopeful that, I think he was going off anyway when he did, but you know, he did seem to tweak something when he went up and mm. came down for a header. Hopefully nothing too serious because again, you know, we need the strength and depth that he provides. I thought what he certainly did do is he certainly offered um, a bit of pace in the wide areas to help try and track I think it was Baba, um, who was the kind of overlapping left wing or the left back for, for POK tonight. And I think that was, again, perhaps maybe just a look at what happened in the first leg and and, and Barry's maybe decided that in the opening phase of certainly the game, the first hour, he needed maybe just a bit of legs rather than physical presence, perhaps, in the midfield. So again, it, it, you know, full credit has to go to the manager there, I think, for a change in terms of the, the personnel there that seems to have worked. Um, talking about a change in the personnel that worked, Duke... I, in a role that we've often bemoaned the idea about Duke playing as a lone striker. And I must admit, when I saw the fact that he was starting tonight, I thought that was a surprising call to do that when we were going one up top. Um, I thought he did really well in that role tonight. Tireless running, it's like he's been taking a, a, a leaf out of Bojamiowski's page from that perspective. Put himself about, you know, it wasn't always coming off for him, but kept on running, kept on harrying. And then he gets the goal. It's a great goal, that opening goal. Really nice play by Duncan and Devlin down the right-hand side. Fine ball in by Devlin once again on the internet, on the European stage, I should say. And a really nice turn and finish from Duke. That's a sign of a player maybe with a bit of confidence just starting to come back as well. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. That's why I tweeted, he's back straight afterwards. Because that, 
you know, the Ross County goal that he scored was, you know, scrappy as anything. The goal against Motherwell, he was, it's a good leap, it's a good header and all that, but it's not really quite a Duke goal as such. To see that, that was more, yeah, that's the first sign this season of the Duke that we came to love last season. Um, fantastic. You know, it's it's everything that he's got in his game. There's a little movement to just nudge the defender out of the way, just give himself that little bit of space, and then the swivel of the right foot in with the left. Fantastic goal. Pure instinct from Duke. And I think that's where he thrives the most. And when it comes to everything else, you know, I thought we we used him well offensively. It was much more about getting the ball down the channels for him to to chase balls into the corners and harry defenders and even if that's winning a throw-in higher up the pitch then, then great. I thought he did, went through a tremendous amount of work, as you say, as well, but never necessarily being a headless chicken. It was still yeah. still disciplined. He wasn't just, you know, steaming forward and then they can play neat triangles and then get themselves up the park. So, fine performance. And again, I just, I really hope that this is the start of a real run for Duke in the first team um, especially domestically when we get back and we can get him and Boyan partnered again. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're starting to maybe see now just a few of the players in the squad now starting to to, to take that little bit of form forward. You know, we've seen it from Miofsky. We've seen Barron coming in and doing well. We saw Clarkson play well at Motherwell, perhaps a little bit quieter at the weekend against, um, against Hibbs in the Cup. We've seen Jamie McGrath, and we'll come out and talk about Jamie McGrath later on. Oh, we will. Um, about the kind of impact he's having on the team. You know, I think we're starting to see a lot more players now starting to put in performances week on week that gives me certainly now, compared to where we were like a week, 10 days ago, <laughs> a lot more faith that this team is moving in the right direction. And we can now hopefully, you know, kick on again from this, which is something we've spoken a lot about. After getting such a, a, a great start, because I thought as well in the opening 14, 15 minutes, we did exactly what you wanted a team to do um, in this sort of environment. And let's not forget... Pale Kira, they're a very, very good team. I mean, they were 4-0 up at Olympiacos um, at the weekend. They conceded a couple of late goals to them. Olympiacos beat West Ham last week. I'm not trying to say that English football was the be-all and end-all, but there's certainly pedigree in that Greek league. Pale Kira, they're a good side. Well, yeah, I mean, West Ham are, you know, the Conference League winners, if I'm not mistaken. So, and Olympiacos are always a difficult team to go and play away from home. So there's no doubt that Pale Kira are a good team. And you saw it in in instances tonight, even when we were defending as well, we did. So it should not be underestimated how well we played. Um, I think we'll probably talk about this at the very last part of this conversation, but it just leaves you with that little bittersweet feeling of what could have been. Yeah, exactly. And let's just talk about the opener then. Like I say, I think like for 15 minutes, we played well. I think we've done exactly everything you'd want to do as the away team in Europe at a difficult venue like this. I thought we actually looked like a, an experienced European side for the first time in a while as well today at that point. We get the goal. Unfortunately, it's just nine minutes later that we concede. And I think we'll maybe touch on some of the defending in a little bit more detail later on as well. And the opener comes from something we've seen quite a lot happen. And it's something we have to hope can be coached out of Rubicic quite quickly. Just that rashness to try and dive in and think that he can win something that was never really there to win. Never there to win. And I just still don't think it's necessary for him to even go and try and make that challenge. You just... You know, the attacker's going to get the ball, stand back, you know, keep your shape, and you're going to give yourself a, better, a much better chance than diving in because, of course, if he doesn't win the ball, you get the overload, and that's exactly what happens. And unfortunately, not every player in the world is LU and there are better players who are going to take their chances, and that's exactly what happens here. It is. 
that said, I, I think ultimately the default does sit with Rubisic for trying to dive in. I think we can still defend that after that better, I think. I think his two centre-half partners there as well could do a little bit better in that situation. Let's put, talk about Rubisic again then, because we were t- talking about this just in our WhatsApp chat, because yes. this is the thing that I find it, it's becoming infuriating to a certain extent with Rubisic, because he does generally do a lot of things well and you saw that again this evening Um, there was that block where he manages to deflect the ball into the post and it's a bit fortunate because it goes in the post but what it does do it does deny a, a certain goal for uh, for Peoke at that time he was when balls were coming in at him at his area he was generally pretty dominant in the air again today I thought um, there's a hilarious flight missile headbutt to the back of a POK defender's head at one point. Yeah, Harley Race would have been proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely would have been. Um, um, there's a lot of things to like about Rupesic. There's a lot of things to like about his willingness, desire to put himself about, but it's just that rashness just just gives me the fear. It's still... It's, well, that's the thing. And you know, even before the goal, there's another instance of it where we get away with it, how we don't take advantage, and then we concede the goal... As I've just alluded to, that happening as Hibbs when Eli Yuan you know, turned him and Hibbs did not take advantage of that. Even in the second half, you know, like you say, there's generally speaking, if balls come into the box, then yeah, he'll be there to, to head them away. But even sometimes, and we saw this against Motherwell, where we concede uh, one of the late goals, he will just sometimes misjudge the flight of the ball. And if the Pauk striker gets a much better connection on it, then it could be a winner for them. So it's it's one of them where it's like, it doesn't really matter how well he does for 80, 85 minutes if he's going to be conceding yeah. crucial chances. And this comes back for me where oh, I'm a huge Angus McDonald fan and what he did for Aberdeen last season, I just think, it, are we playing our best back three right now by sticking, persevering with the Rubicic project? I understand why we're doing it for the sake of the business model, but you know, I just still think, can we afford to be not be playing our best players? What would our season look like if Angus McDonald was playing? Uh, who knows? I mean, that's the thing. Uh, who knows? Uh, that, that's a proper what if kind of question. Um, you know, I don't know. It's difficult to tell. I just, I think there's a lot to like there, and I just hope that we can just continue to work with this and just persevere with it. Because I think if you can cut that rash out, you'd have an extremely solid centre back on your books, and, and and we've been crying out for one of those for for a long, long time. It's fair to say. Um, the second goal as well. I mean, obviously into the second half, and it's very much a backs to the wall effort in that in that opening second period um this was one of the things i was kind of surprised about and it wasn't what i was anticipating from POK to be fair at all is that they're they they wanted to rely a lot on getting the ball wide and throwing balls into the box and you kind of think with the back three that we have that we should that should be you know meat and potatoes for us but it really really troubled us a lot this evening the the whip balls in you have to say some of them are incredibly good deliveries as well. I think Despidov in particular was just unreal with the ball at his feet. But um, we looked really nervy, I felt, with the ball coming into the box. We did. We did, certainly. Um, even even then, though, like off the top of my head, I can't think of any clear-cut chances that come from a delivery. I mean, I guess there's the header. And when a guy gets around the back of Gartman at one point, and if he gets yeah. a better touch, then it goes in. But it happens well with Devlin as well, just not long after that. Yeah, that's right. But like, the frustration then about the the second goal is that you know we still we do manage to defend the first <laughs> phase of play, and then it's just kind of classic Aberdeen over the last two and a half years where 
it's the second phase where I don't know, players just kind of switch off. And even though your man who scores the goal is surrounded by red shirts, it's fundamentally a free header. And to concede that in such a crucial game, when you've defended so well, it's just another disappointing, another disappointing defensive performance from Aberdeen. I did think there might have been a foul on McGrath. I think the guy does give him a push in the back as it happens. And I'd have been intrigued to see what would happen if that goal had taken place at the other end. And whether or not there's a, a VAR call in a different direction. We'll come and talk about VAR in a minute or two. But again, credit where credit is due to this Aberdeen team at this moment in time. I think, you know, maybe earlier in the season, we perhaps would have been questioning the character of this team. But it would be very easy there, having been 2-0 up against POK at Pataudry to lose 3-2 in the, way, in the manner we did, to have been 1-0 up and kind of battered a little bit at stages today to then go back down to 2-1 with 20 minutes remaining. It would have been very, very easy, I think, for us, for heads to go down and that to turn into 3-1, 4-1, potentially. But credit where credit's due. Three minutes after we concede the, the second goal, we win a free kick up the pitch. And what a strike this is from, from Jamie McGrath. Uh, a moment to really just, if any Aberdeen fans out there were doubters beforehand, I think perhaps that's been put to bed now and I'm not aiming that at anyone in particular except oh, for yourself, Absolutely, Gavin. absolutely, yes. Um, you know what, when we win the free kick and what, it's a good it's a good 30 yards out from goal and it's he and Johnny Hayes that are standing <laughs> over. I'm expecting Hayes is just going to loft this in and we'll see what happens. And then when Hayes kind of stepped away and McGrath, made it pretty clear he's going to hit the Ronaldo shot. I was like, hold on a minute here. <laughs> Jamie McGrath doesn't have this in his locker. Oh, shit. That was really good. Holy fuck. A sensational free kick. You know what? Beyond that, Jamie McGrath is very good tonight as get again. Yeah, it does feel, a good game. Yeah. It does feel, again, much like, um, like Dante. He's a guy for these kind of big occasions. And even in games like this where I wouldn't necessarily have expected Jamie McGrath to be as pivotal a player as he is, he's just... he's. He's got a lot more work rate than I thought he did. Yeah, I'll that, I think that's unquestionable. Yeah. Definitely concede that. And he's just got like a good level of experience, just even just drawing fouls to, you know, ease the pressure, just break up the game. Or he's got like more, his running is more powerful than I expected. And I yeah. made comment of that when we played Frankfurt and he got a lot of good joy going yeah. down that left flank. So tonight, yeah, an absolute fantastic performance from Jamie McGrath. And the free kick is just... Well, there's no better way of saying it. it's just chef's kiss. It's it's fantastic. I think you're right. I think that I think, you know, from my perspective with McGrath when we signed him, I didn't really question his technical ability. I think that's been clearly always there. He was a, a decent footballer. I was probably the same as you. As I never thought at St. Mirren there was that work rate. I felt that in the St. Mirren team he was he had the luxury of playing as a kind of number ten, and he he did well at that. I kind of felt maybe unfairly as well. His stats were a lot were padded out a lot by penalty kicks. Um. At United, maybe it's hard to judge at United because they were so, so poor last season. Um, but everything I, I didn't expect, we would see at Jamie McGrath, we're seeing and we're also seeing the quality and the technical ability that he clearly, clearly has. And I, I, one, one of the best things about an email like this tonight as well, Gavin, is that you're just getting dug out like fuck on Twitter about it. So without any further ado, I think we're going to have to look at the Jamie McGrath scoreboard right now. Well, I mean, it was sitting at five to three after the Hibs game. I mean, they're going to talk about double prizes. 
he's taken an what could be an unassailable lead at this point. It's he's it's seven three Jay McGrath. Seven three Jay McGrath, I think so. Gav's gonna have yeah. to get McGrath on the back of the shirt next season, I think, at this rate. Seven points for number seven, Jay McGrath. Yeah, he's I mean he's doing well. I mean, that also puts him up to it's five goals. goals. Yeah, it's five goals this season. Um that's not a bad return for for the sweater. Again, like I say, because I've always I've always thought his stats were padded out in the past with penalties and obviously not one of them um so far. So a, a really, really good performance by Jay McGrath. Yeah, absolutely. This evening. Um, in terms of substitutes as well, just I thought Povara once again did well when he came in off the bench tonight and um, helped just kind of steady things a little bit in that midfield area. Johnny Hazley said about that the better, I think. His opening gambit was to slide in recklessly and get himself booked and give away a free kick in the last third. So top marks there. I had the scenes of what are we doing here? Did anybody not remember what happened two weeks ago when Johnny Hayes came on against POK? But never mind. Um, credit as well, I think, to Robson just on subs. When it went 2-2, he brought in two strikers, which again doesn't feel like a very Barry Robson thing to do. But we took Omniowski and Sokler, which I think helped us a little bit just in that final period. We were hanging on a little bit, no doubt. But at least by having two players up, up the park, it gave POK something to have to think about. And Omniowski's work rate, just even in those 10 minutes he was on, was exceptional once again. Yeah, same story as, as Duke, just you know, making that run, even for a totally lost cause. But every now and again, we, we did get some joy and we could set up one of our notorious deadly th- long throw-ins <laughs> we uh, did which, which, yeah. which, which somehow didn't pay off again tonight uh, when when will that end and I thought Sokler just did the same as far as just coming on bringing in a little bit more energy and you know just helping just helping the lads get over get over the hurdle because all too often I think I've seen us play games like this where the players are putting so much effort into the performance and physically and mentally they're drained and, and the inevitable happens in the last minute I do think those subs, I think all the subs, to be fair, even Johnny Hayes, despite his opening gambit, came on and contributed to, to you know, getting that draw. Let's just talk really quickly about POK, will we? Because um, there's a couple of controversial moments, shall we say, in the game. Um, one's a dive by Constantelius earlier on in the second half, which yes. remarkably gets just doesn't get punished at all, which I can't understand. Um, and then there's the moment that I think every Aberdeen fan has their hearts in their mouth over not long again after McGrath scores and I was laughing at this because I thought to myself Gav's just lighting up the McGrath scoreboard here for when it looked as though McGrath had taken down um, one of the POK players bearing in obviously the instant replay showed that one it was offside (laughs) and two it was one of the most outrageous dives on the planet yeah Um, they were cheating bastards it's fair to say possibly this (laughs) Generations Rapid Vienna, and that's um, a line that not very many people will probably remember. Um, those two individuals, especially, that was, um, I don't know, is scandalous the right word? Ah, scandalous feels the right word. I think that's what Stephen Craig said on commentary scandalous behavior from both players. And you know, the, the stunning thing about it is that, you know, they both get, they both get checked by VAR. The initial one, the first one from Constantelius, you know, the ref decides obviously or VR decides not a penalty, in which case it's surely simulation. It's a yellow card, isn't it? And then the referee goes and looks at the second one from your man, the centre back. And again, it's a it's a drop ball to Aberdeen. And no, no, no yellow card. Makes absolutely no sense to me. I think I did read somewhere that the they can't give a retrospective yellow card in that position because it's VAR is not to be used for yellow card decisions. I think is where that, why but, it can't happen. 
but would that not clash with um, the what was the Rangers game where the your man Kingsley gets a yellow card rescinded? It leads to a red card, but it's a yellow card decision. Are you talking about when he gets I after for the when it's the dive? When it's the dive, that is yeah, then, I think it's different because that's different because they then go no, it's a penalty kick, so I have to take away the booking I'd given him. Yeah, that was I think because you can't give a booking off the back of a of a VAR decision. I think that's why it doesn't happen. But it is still outrageous. And then on top of that as well is the I'd completely forgotten about this until just thinking about it right now. The stamp by Virginia on McGrath, McGrath in the first half. Given what we've seen this week, and, and given what we've seen generally speaking from VAR, that's a red card as well, isn't it? In in today's game. And just going back even further to, you know, I'm just let's just talk about Graham Cheney on Jack Baldwin again last season. Uh comparison to Maeda. For Celtic against Atletico or Marcus Rashford for United, definitely that's far worse than either of them. There's there's genuine for me. There's intent to to leave one on McGrath there as opposed to the other two where it's about trying to shield the ball or trying to win the ball. So I'm very confused, but um, I've been confused by VAR for a long time now. Yeah, I mean the good thing is it didn't um, end up costing us per se, but it could have you know it could have been something much better tonight. I think if um, certain decisions go our way, talk about Jack McKenzie. I mean obviously Gav you. you Every Aberdeen fan was obviously incredibly, incredibly frustrated with um, the red card of the weekend. Ultimately, it doesn't cost us. So, you know, that's um, it's maybe slightly different from the Anthony Stewart situation the season before. Um, I think at the weekend you said you never want to see Jack McKenzie play for Aberdeen ever again. I believe again, what I said is that if I never see him in an Aberdeen okay, shirt sorry. again, I won't, I won't be too concerned. Okay, but I tell you what, that was a performance tonight from Jack McKenzie that will go some way, I think, to... Certainly to apologising, I think, to the Aberdeen fans for what happened at the weekend and to making amends for that. Because I thought Jack McKenzie was, tonight, I thought he was exceptional. He's got a long way to go. <laughs> but to a man, Aberdeen were excellent tonight. And yeah, that includes Jack McKenzie. I think I remember especially when Pauk broke on us in numbers and Constantelius, I think, has a ball to play into the striker. And it's both McKenzie and Barron making those lung-bursting runs to get back and block the cross and get us back in for a corner. So, and there was more than that. It was an all round, you know, very good performance. And yeah, like I said, he's got a long way to go to repay us for the stupidity. Like I say, that could have cost us a final, but um, yeah, that's not a bad start. I tell you what as well, and I, I, I just thought about it um, just while we were talking there, but something quite nice to see at the very least in a game like that tonight. Um, and when you think about the way in which our, scouting network has evolved certainly in the last couple of seasons we start that game tonight with three players out of our youth system who are all Aberdeen or Northeast boys you know Jack McKenzie Connor Barron and and Ryan Duncan and that is something that the, the youth academy again should be kind of praised for that we're in a position where we can play a game like that tonight and there is that number of players Finlay Marshall and Jack Mellon on the bench as well tonight I mean Graham Shinney doesn't come through our academy but is from the Northeast as well that's um that's something we should at least be proud of as well I think tonight Definitely, but more to the point also, it's all well and good having players just in Premier Academy playing in these games, but when they play as well as our guys did, that's the thing that you can hang your hat on. I thought, you know, as I thought McKenzie um, played well, I thought Duncan came in, did a really good shift, given that he's not played much football, and that'll have been a really stiff test for him. But I thought Connor Bannon was absolutely superb tonight. Yeah, I thought he was on a night again. On a night like that where... You could expect players to be afraid of the ball or when they get the ball, they just want to get as far away from goal as possible. There was a guy there who wanted every opportunity to get himself on the ball and make things happen for us. 
uh, a sign of just real class. It's again, we've I feel much like Duke. We've got Connor Barron yeah. back where we had him uh, prior to him sustaining that injury last preseason and just never getting going last season. Obviously, there's all the the background noise with him as well. But if, that, if they can have that kind of Connor Barron playing week in week out, we've got an absolute gem. And you know, I'd be making it as. Alan Burrows, Stephen Gunn, whoever it may be, a priority to get Conor Barron to the negotiation table. I mean, obviously they talked about that. I think it was just before the um, was the game at the weekend. I think where they talked about Barron and the negotiations are back ongoing again now about a new contract. And yeah, I think that that's a, a huge, huge um, opportunity for us as well, just to try and retain a player who's got obvious quality and therefore has obvious resale value for us as a football club as well. Now going forward, that we don't let him walk out the door for nothing. In the summer, and we try and just you know continue to develop Baron and get the very best out of him in the next the next couple of seasons. Um, <clears throat> Barry Robson, I mean, like seven ten days ago, we sat here after the Kilmarnock game, and we were rightfully questioning whether or not Robson's position was even tenable at that moment in time after the performance and the manner of the the, the defeat at Kilmarnock. It probably goes to show you just how fickle football can be sometimes. Robson deserves a lot of credit. Again, we we spoke about it. Um, last episode purely because of the fact he'd got the two wins mother one and and the cup semi-final but now again tonight i think he got the shape the system the personnel he made all the right decisions i think i think he was brave with his substitutions tonight as well um and that's a team that appear to be bought into the manager and are fighting for the manager and he's he's turned the last seven to ten days around in his favor it's fair to say well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because if you were to believe the authenticity of WhatsApp group chat rumors and Twitter chat, then the players have, you know, jacked it in. There's fights going on in the dressing room after Kilbarnock. They've lost faith in the manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's been absolutely no sign of that, especially in the last two games. It sounds like the players are really fighting for the badge and, you know, equally fighting for the manager. I think you saw that with a celebration in the for yeah. the second goal. It seems like despite the difficulties we've faced this season, it's a very united dressing room. And that's gonna hold us in good stead. Um personally, just I'm I'm delighted for for Robson that he's been able to turn this around and by embracing this kind of five four one in its flattest uh, setup seems to be the way that we're gonna we're gonna make this season happen right now. And I'm just yeah, I'm I'm delighted for him. I really am. I'm I'm still convinced that it's frustrating in a, a sense that he's learning on the job and that's maybe not what you want to see from the Aberdeen manager like the Aberdeen position being used for that but I'm still convinced that regardless of what happens Robson's going to have a very good managerial career and I do just think that we're starting to see signs that part of that will be at Aberdeen and I still think that when we do get through this group stage um, Sunday Thursday Sunday Thursday Sunday routine and we do get the players on the training pitch we're only going to get better and better I think we'll have a really good season that's the hope, isn't it? That that's what happens. And like I say, credit has to go to the manager. You, you know, we have to, as the, th- well, it's the two of us tonight, but the three of us obviously um, were chatting after the Kilmarnock game. You have to stand up and say, you know, well, maybe we were a bit hasty on it. That said, the performance against Kilmarnock was woeful and the, some of the performances up running up to that hadn't been great. But this is definitely, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, the signs of a team starting to come together and starting to head in the right direction. Ultimately tonight, um, the bittersweet moment of this is a good performance in, in Greece, but with the result, 
well, with the two-two draw, and then with the result in Helsinki, where Eintracht beat HJK or Hoyakar by a goal to nil, it does mean that we are out of Europe and we won't be progressing beyond the group stages this season. But it feels like it's been fine margins this Conference League group stage. You know, between VAR calls, like I say, some fine margins. It maybe could have, should have, would have been a, a slightly different story. That's that's the thing. That's the thing for me. It's just when you know that we have this result in our in our back pocket, and it's just it's difficult not to. I've taken a lot of pride from our actual overall performance in Europe this season because it's not that's not an easy group to play, no matter who you are. Um, with the pedigree of some of these teams, to go to Frankfurt and put the points we did in there, uh, being extremely competitive, I think we should have beaten Helsinki. I maintain that we should have beaten PAOK from the two nil position we were in. And then to go away and get this result, you just can't help but think what could have been if maybe you had a little bit more experience, a little bit more nous, and you know, or just a bit more clinical in our in our finishing in those crucial situations. But you know, you've, we've seen you see other teams in Scotland. You know, they play, they try, they go away from home, they try and set up to be compact, and they get absolutely fucking battered. As you know, I can just think of you know Celtic, for example, on on Tuesday or Hearts in preseason. Or Hearts' entire European campaign last season, for that matter. Actually, now, now I think about it. So Hearts in like, Thessaloniki this season alone. It, it feels like this has been a really, really um, important learning experience for the players, and I think they'll definitely improve for it. And we have been, we've been competitive in every game we've played, and that's yeah, something mean, to be proud of. It's just yeah, you just keep going back. Think those two games at Petardry and what could be, what could have been. Are, if things are different, those two games at Petology in particular, and I think you're right, I think we should have beaten Hoyakar, I think we should have beaten Payok. With the result tonight, we'd be sitting on seven points. We'd be sitting joint second with Payok tonight. Um, having played them twice and for us to go to Helsinki and then play at home against Frankfurt, and well, and the Frankfurt game is going to be a bit weird, I think, anyway now, because obviously we're out and we're playing in the cup final three days later. So who knows what will happen for that. But what you now have to hope now is though that this is going to be an opportunity for the squad to, to learn from this. To, to kick on from this and hopefully we can secure qualification for next season you can keep the nucleus of this squad together that when you're back in group stage football hopefully next season you can really try and develop from it yeah and nights like this have to serve as an inspiration to go on when the when the European group stage is over to kick on in in the league in the Scottish Cup and make sure we're back here again because you can't help but think that these players must absolutely love playing in these kind of environments yeah, absolutely not. No, I think that's definitely doubted. I think it's been a kind of slightly weird European campaign and it's been kind of highly frustrating from one perspective. But I think what would really round the 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 the, 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 the campaign off from that perspective would be go to, would be to now go to Helsinki and, and pick up three points on the road. Um selfishly saying that just because obviously we're, we're all going to Helsinki <laughs> games, so it'd be good if that was where the three points came. But um it would just put a bit of a bow on, I think, what has been Frustrating, but on the whole, it's been a very positive experience, I think. We deserve one win in Europe this season. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely adamant about that. We definitely do. We haven't won a game yet, despite how competitive we've been. So if it is in Helsinki and it warms the cockles a little bit in the minus four temperature, I'm all for that. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, top down tonight? Uh, Connor Banner. Connor Barron for you. I'm going to give it to Jamie McGrath. I think you can't. A player who scores a 30-yard world, you know. In the way game in Europe, think, in that sort of environment. I think there's a there. number of candidates, but I thought Conor Bannon was superb. Absolutely. So on to the other news, Gav, this week. One of the big things was obviously um, Scottish League Cup final tickets 
announcement earlier in the week about the fact that Aberdeen were only going to be given, I think it's 19,500 tickets to sell. Um, Rangers are going to be given a, a vast majority more than that. That's despite the fact that the club had uh, specifically put forward a plan for how we could avoid a situation where there'd be empty seats left at the National Stadium on uh, the 17th of December. Um, first things first, should we be surprised? No. Next question. Second, <laughs> second things. Um, interestingly, Dave Cormack then tweeting out yesterday about the fact that the club had obviously put forward their proposals, but we'd also asked specifically for a draw or a, a coin toss to be made to decide the ends at Hamden and also the, the dressing room allocation. And again, that had been turned down. Again, should we be surprised? No. No. Um, all considered, it's just another example about just what a farce the game in Scotland can be sometimes, isn't it? Ach, if we want, we can just play the game at Ibrox. Yeah, might make, might make it easier for everybody. If it, if it does, we'll just take our away allocation, maybe. Um, it's just, it's such, I don't, I don't get it. It's just, it's just common sense what's been proposed by the club in that, you know, give us half the tickets, give us a deadline. If they don't sell them, then they go, they go to Rangers. It's what's left over. It's, it's exactly what happened. It's what Burroughs proposed uh, when he was the Motherwell chief exec and is what happened when they played Rangers in the cup final. So why they've decided to go against that on this occasion, well, you could probably make the assumption that the fact that we're Aberdeen and it's Rangers have probably something to do with it. But um, yeah, a, nons- a nonsensical decision, but one that I'm not in the slightest bit surprised with. And for me, it just serves as more fuel to the fire to go down there and stick it right to them. Absolutely. So here's an interesting piece. I think um, this came, uh, Stuart Fisher, thank you, Stuart, forwarded this to us. So Stuart took it upon himself to email um, Neil Doncaster and Neil Doncaster actually responded to him, which I find astonishing that this has happened, but never mind. Um, Stuart kind of asked Neil two very kind of pointed questions or three pointed questions in particular. Um, one which was just around the, the please explain the lack of 50-50 allocation in particular, given the fact that we, the club had put forward clearly a, um, a sensible proposal that should and have been, have been accepted by the SPFL here. Secondly was, was with regards to the, the end allocation. And um, finally regarded ticket pricing, because obviously ticket pricing is also a massive issue here as well and and Stuart shared the email with us and Stuart's happy for us to, to to talk through the email and I think it's only right that we do it because um it's it's important that these types of things get put out there so when Neil Doncaster's responded to Stuart in particular with regards to the 50-50 split and I'll read it out verbatim um just to make sure that we're not um, missing anything he says you're correct that Aberdeen quite understandably requested a 50-50 split the split endorsed by the SPFL would make available up to 20 uh, sorry the split endorsed by the SPFL would be 25,000 tickets to Rangers and up to 19,500 tickets to Aberdeen a key word there is up to I think as well that indicates to me that there may be scope for that allocation to be removed as well these allocations are based amongst other factors on long-standing SPFL board policy of maximizing number of fans attending 
matches at Hamden based on a detailed assessment of likely demand and on the record that the club had of ticket sales and semi-finals and finals at Hamden. It's notable, apparently, that Aberdeen sold fewer than 13,000 tickets for the Cup semi-final at Hibs last weekend, resulting in a number of seats being uh, unsold. It's also worth noting that the number of tickets provided to Aberdeen will be the same as when they last appeared in the final against Celtic in 2018-19. The same split was also used when Hibernian played Celtic in 2021. The layout of this is the bit which is just bollocks. The layout of Hamden Park means that a decision on the segregation of the stadium bowl needs to be made at the outset. In practice, this means the North Stand must be split 50-50 or given 100% to one club, as is the case for the forthcoming final. If Aberdeen were to be given a 50-50 split, this would necessitate a 50-50 split of the stadium, leading to the potential for areas of the ground remaining unsold and empty, which would impact negatively on both Rangers and Aberdeen. I don't understand how that could be the case. And on the spectacle of one of Scottish football's showcase occasions, Aberdeen's proposal was to leave half of the North Stand empty until the East Stand was sold out. In practice, this would mean that many of the best seats in the stadium not being available to either set of fans until long after tickets went on sale. This suggestion was not supported by the SPFL or by Rangers. I take issue with the uh, the notion of the best seats in Hamden because there are no best seats in Hamden. They're maybe the least worst. Anyway, continue. So, so that's the decision about why the 50-50 um, is there because they, apparently they don't want to be in a situation where what would be, what, 6,000, maybe 5,000 tickets in the North Stand would be unsold until a particular period before the game and they think that that would be a problem. I don't understand that, to be honest with you, because with the best will in the world, we know what Rangers' season ticket um, allocation is. We know that they would have more than enough demand i would suggest to take 5000 tickets at lastminute.com if they became available so i think that's an absolute load of bollocks that they don't want to take the risk on that happening and i think it's laughable to suggest that empty seats or a lack of 50-50 split impacts negatively on aberdeen football club in this instance yeah it's almost as though he's just come up with a word salad to justify yeah. why they're doing this when we in reality know the reasons why yeah, exactly. And I, I do understand that the North Stand can only be segregated either 50-50 or it has to happen at the point where it was at the semi-final last season against Rangers, which is right on the corner. I totally get that. That bit makes perfect sense. I just don't understand why they've said to Aberdeen, you just simply can't even think about trying to sell those tickets um, and see where we get to. And if you can't sell them, we just leave them unsold and we'll, we'll hand them to Rangers with a week to go. I'm absolutely convinced if that was left with a week to go, Rangers would sell those tickets, no problem. I think that's unquestionable, isn't it? I would say so. If you go by what they've shown on Twitter anyway. Yeah, well, d- definitely. I mean, bear in mind, they can only get less than 70% at a cup quarterfinal against Livingston, but never mind. So that's that's the 50-50, which again, it's just it's a load of shite, but I guess we are where we are now. And it's, it's interesting to see that that's been explained. The decision on the end of the stadium now, Wait for this. <laughs> Wait for this. The decision as to which end of the stadium to use for Rangers fans and which for Aberdeen fans is based on, and I quote, long-standing policy. I mean, he's not wrong. He's actually not lying there. He's not lying. He's, he's spot not on, us, actually, yeah. He's not telling us, though, what the supposed long-standing policy is. Apparently, the policy is based on advice from the safety officer and safety management team at Hamden and discussions with relevant authorities. Now, I'm not entirely sure if that is, let's just say, truthful, shall we say. Well, it depends which authorities we're talking to. <laughs> those with a funny handshake, perchance, maybe. Oh, you know, those that provide, those that like marching up and down dressed in Holland kits. I mean, what an absolute non-answer is that? 
Oh, I'm convinced this whole answer is just Neil Doncaster's, you know, funneled the questions in chat GB, chat GBT. <laughs> I just, um, I, I just think that's an astonishing answer to, to provide, to be honest with you. I mean, it literally, by saying it's based on longstanding policy that if nothing else reaffirms <laughs> the belief, I think, amongst the majority of Scottish football fans that there are indeed ends at Hamden Park which are designated on your religious background. Oof, oof. Unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. Let's get the tin hats on. I don't think that's tin hat. I mean, let's be honest. Go look at the evidence. You know, you know fine well if if team A plays team B at Hamden and one of them is one of them is deemed to be more proddy than the other, and one of them is deemed to be more cathode than the other, we know which end they're in. I think it's just complete coincidence that I've sat in one end of Hamden when we've played Rangers and <laughs> one end of Hamden whenever we've been scudded by Celtic at Hamden. And yet, miraculously, I, I sit in the same end when we get scudded by Celtic as I do when we're humping hibs. It's, or when we're playing... Curious. Well, actually, no, we, we don't ever really play hearts of Hamden, do we? No, they struggle to make it that yeah. far, to be fair. Yeah. Or when you play Dundee. What end are you in? Oh, that's right. That's right. Indeed. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there we go. That's 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 Neil Doncaster's view, which I think is just incredible stuff. Um, thank you, Stuart, for sending that to us. Um, there we go. Is that an exclusive? I don't know. Maybe it is. Who knows? Um, Graham's just d- gutted. He never got a chance to converse directly with Neil Doncaster. Oh, yeah. Oh, Graham's going to be straight on the phone to Stuart for his email. Indeed. Right. Anyway. Nothing let- about football. Just where, what, who his barber is. Well, we do have his email address now, so... Um, <laughs> anyway, lovely stuff. Lovely, lovely stuff. Um, let's move on then really quickly. So, another massive week for us, for the club, in terms of just games coming yes. thick and fast. Yes. Sunday, 2.30 in the afternoon, we travel to Celtic Park to take on Celtic. Um, as, as fixtures go in the Scottish domestic game at the moment, this is pretty much up there as being the toughest... In the league, I don't think we've, we haven't won at Celtic Park, I don't think now, since Andy Constantine's late, late winner back yeah. in whatever season that was when we clinched second place. Celtic obviously coming to this game, top of the table, play 12, 110, drawn two, unbeaten, uh, four, 28 against seven, but obviously coming off the back of an absolute howitzer of a humbling in Madrid at the hands of uh, Diego Simeone's Atletico during the week. Uh, I, I normally would do a big, huge in-depth on, on the opposing team, but I just simply haven't had the time to go and look at it this evening. It's going to be a, a, a tough ask on, on Sunday coming off the back of what has been uh, a pretty gruelling set of fixtures. Graham's not here to laugh about the tiredness excuse, but um, <laughs> the team did put in a bit of a shift again tonight as they had to put on a shift on Saturday there at 10 men. Um, it's going to be a big ask, I think, on Sunday, isn't it? One hundred percent. The 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 positives that we can take as far as the tiredness goes is that Robson did rotate. Um, that was you know Miofsky, Clarkson, you know Dante. I mean Dante and Boyan came on for kind of cameo appearances, but weren't out there for the whole ninety. And you know we got Ryan Duncan, Shinney, Duke. You know they came off with some with some time to spare as well. So as far as kind of being as fresh as can be, I think we've given ourselves as much of a chance as we can. But um, yeah, there's there's no doubt that Celtic are going to be a huge test once again. Like I say, we don't have a good record at Celtic Park. Very few do in the domestic game, if we're being honest. And almost any other team that suffers the kind of absolute hiding that they did in Madrid, I would suggest that's going to really knock the stuffing out of them. But it doesn't really ever seem to affect Celtic, uh, domestically speaking. So 
yeah, they've got got a lot of good players uh, play a brand of football that's punished us on a number of occasions. But we do have this new system that seems to be giving us a lot more, um, making us a lot more rigid at the back, a lot more uh, tougher to, to score against. And it seems to be set up in a way where if a team wants to play in front of you, there's options there to, to protect the goal. And that's what Celtic do. So fingers crossed we can come away with a, a performance. And if it's not going to be a result, then at least a performance that doesn't you know, uh, dampen all the goodwill that the last three games have created. Yeah, I guess the one thing we maybe say about Celtic this season is obviously under Brendan Rodgers again, they're perhaps not quite as swashbuckling or perhaps maybe as a, with, with the same attacking threat that they had under Postecoglou. They're certainly much more back in the, the Rodgers mode of a lot of possession play, maybe a bit of sometimes what feels like needless possession play. And they have struggled on times this season so far. I mean, you know, St. Johnston went to Parkhead and got a nil-nil draw. Hibbs obviously took a nil-nil draw off them at Easter Road. St Mirren ran them pretty close um, a week or so ago as well. Ross County, I felt Celtic struggled a little bit against as well in the TV game, despite Ross County being down to 10 men at the same time. So it does feel that maybe with the system, the shape that we have, if you can go down there and be compact and be tight and not give away something silly in the opening five or 10 minutes, then you've got the chance of picking up something at, at, at Parkhead, I think, this season. So we have to rely on it's the discipline and it's the cutting out of the silly mistakes. So I think this is a game, if there's ever a game or a striker that he's going to face up to, I think if there's one that has to, for Rubicic needs to give himself a yard of extra space, it'll be Hyogo. Um, you can't be going diving in on him because that'll create all kinds of problems. It's going to be a concentration, keeping the shape, keeping the discipline, you know, in, and that term, that involves the pressing game, no one breaking the lines, letting Celtic play those triangles around us, which we've seen on all too many occasions. But, you know, no matter what, I mean, they're, they're still begrudgingly. I mean, they're a good team and they can punish you no matter how well you play. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on Kyogo a minute ago, obviously. Um, he's the obvious danger man. It will be interesting to see what we do to 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 match up against him on Sunday because he has been, I think we highlighted it during the initial the game earlier in the season. Rogers has been kind of almost trying to play him a little bit deeper. He's been allowing him to drop a bit deeper to try and create space for the likes of Matt O'Reilly to drop in on or run into space on. O'Reilly's having a great season this season, it's fair. So he's their top scorer with six. He's also got three assists as well in the league. So he's kind of the, the informed danger man at this moment in time. Uh, Kyogo on five. David Turnbull as well is having not a bad season with five goals as well to his name. Um, it's never, you know, we, we kind of laugh about it a bit. Obviously, they played in Madrid on uh, in midweek. They got absolutely smashed there. Occasionally, you might look at that and say that's maybe not the worst time to be playing them, but that never really tends to work out that way that we hope for, does it? No, no, no. Um, the, whatever happens to them in Europe, as I say, it just generally speaking never seems to impact them domestically. And I expect them to recover and put in a performance that's going to make us really need to stand up and be counted. Expect anything major in terms of massive changes to team lineup from what we saw tonight in Greece? Uh, I don't think I expect any sort of change in terms of shape or system or anything like that. Not in shape, no. I think I could probably envision Boyan coming back in for, for Duke and... I think Duncan will drop out and maybe Dante will come yeah, back in. I think that seems like the kind of sensible thing to do, I think. Um, but beyond that, I mean, he might decide to take Leighton Clarkson back in for, for Connor Barron. That's kind of one where you can almost kind of flip a coin on. But yeah, uh, Boyan and Dante coming in. That'll be my predictions. Okay, there we go. And um, it is a bit of a kind of 
condensed preview from what we would normally do. But um, time is of the essence, as they say. Um, prediction. It's 20, it's 20 to 10 on Thursday night. It uh, is indeed. Time is indeed. I'm going to go to my bed. Indeed. Well, you need to edit first. And oh, then, yeah, so there we go. But um, prediction then for prediction for, for Sunday. Tough game. Very tough game. I don't think we're going to keep a clean sheet. But I mean, this and this is the last game for the international break, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. So there's no reason to not put in a blood and guts performance, round off what's been a pretty good run of fixtures. I'm going to say a 1-1 draw. It turns out I was the, the Nostradamus this week. I predicted 2-2 for the POK game tonight. And I'm going to go back with the same prediction again. I'm going to say Celtic 2, Aberdeen 2. Um, just a quick side note, I just noticed that the club have tweeted out that apparently um, Happy Habib Gay was the victim of racist abuse from a section of POK supporters tonight. Um, obviously, that's just absolutely disgusting stuff. And obviously, Gay's not had a lot of game time at Aberdeen, but um, obviously wish him... Um, all the very best with 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 coming through that. That's not anything anybody wants to see. Um, and hopefully the club can stand up to that and you know make sure that UEFA get involved and um, make sure that the POK support and the club faces the sanctions they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's really disappointing to learn. That sucks. There's no reason for it. And whoever it was, hopefully they're able to identify and they'll face the punishments they deserve. Um, yeah, fuck those guys. Indeed. So there we go. That'll um, wrap us up for this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Join us next week where we'll bring you episode 135, I think it is. Five, yeah. Indeed. So we will bring you the review of the game against Celtic at the weekend. And we will also bring you part one of our exclusive interview. Oh, this is a doozy. This is a good one. I'm quite pleased with this one. With ex-Aberdeen goalkeeper, ex-club captain, not long departed, is of course Joe... Lewis. We'll see you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Codrey Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!